Welcome to the Body Image Workshop. My name is Susan. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, will you all please join me in the serenity prayer? God, grant me this serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will not mine be done. Before we get started, uh, we ask that all cell phones and other electronic devices be turned off now. Now I have to pause. We remind you that this session is being taped. All speakers must sign the release form. Um, I don't think that'll, that'll, is pertinent here. To protect our anonymity, no photograph, photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not re- represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Um, so it says here the format. So what, what this is today, what um, you're, you're going to experience here, is we're going to take you through the steps. Um, Colleen and I believe that uh, the only way to do anything now in this life that we live is uh, through the steps. And so that's what we're going to be doing. You'll be doing writing. You'll be sharing your writing with a partner, somebody you're sitting next to. Um, we ask that when you share... When you listen to somebody's writing, no crosstalk, okay? No opinions, no, um, you know, even sharing your experience. Just a thank you. We want to make this really safe for people to share as deeply as they can. So um, we ask you to do that. Um, What else? Uh, Just a little bit of history. Colleen and I have been doing this. I just looked it up. About six years now, we've been doing this around the L.A. area. And... um, and it's really been a gift for both of us. What we're going to ask you to do today is uh, things that we've already done. And um, we found it really very helpful for us so that we thought that maybe we could share this with you. When we got together, we really barely even knew each other. She's from the Valley. I live in Santa Monica. And we had one a friend in common who said, um, I was telling her about something I was doing. She said, oh, I think Colleen is doing something like that also. And um, close that door. And um, so we got together, and we realized that we were literally going through the steps as what we were doing, and we're just so grateful for that. So um, that's what we're doing here today. It's kind of been honed over the years. So if you came here in the beginning, you might hear some new stuff today. And um, we're just really so grateful to be here and really humbled that um, people think we can be of service doing this. Um, so uh, I think what we'll do now is Colleen's going to share her story, then I'll share mine, and then we will um, get started. Thanks. Hi, good morning, everybody. My name is Colleen. I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank you so much for being here so early on a Saturday morning. Bright and shiny faces. I love it. Um, to qualify, I've been abstinent um, well, if I make it to August 4th, it'll be 11 years. Um, my Yeah, total miracle. Um, my top weight that I know was uh, 311 pounds. So I've been maintaining about 160-pound weight loss probably for about eight and a half years, something like that, as a result of these steps. Um, and I forgot my pictures, but um, you'll just have to believe me. <laughs> um, so, you know, um, like Susan said, we were both kind of working on, on this years ago, the different pieces of it. Um, 
And when I first started out, one of the things that, one of the pieces that really occurred to me um, was that, you know, in or, one of the gems, I should say, of, of working the steps was the inventory process. Um, because what it did is it allowed me to really take a realistic stock of what I'd been doing in my life. And um, so when it came to the idea of body image, I needed to do the same thing. So, um, you know, when I look back at my life, um, it's a long history of um, anger, contempt, confusion, and disassociation from my own body. Um, you know, I don't think that I would have been able to get up to over 300 pounds had I been conscious of how it was making my body feel. In fact, that's a lot of what my experience has been in recovery, is as things happen and my body changes and shifts, I'm now aware of it. And I've had experiences where it's alarming because I'm actually present to it where I wasn't before. Um, you know, there was a lot of, of crazy stuff that happened when I was a kid, and I just made a decision at some point, and it wasn't a conscious thing, that I couldn't trust my own body. And my whole life, I spent life thinking, well, the only problem is that I'm fat. It was never the problem is that I'm eating too much. See, because I never saw a connection between what I was eating and the fact that it was making me fat. I mean, logically, that makes sense, but we all know this disease is not logical. See, food is not something that I, like, consciously look to to comfort me. It is something that gives me something to check out with. You know, if I could have shot it up my arm, I would have. And I'm really grateful that the food worked because if it hadn't, I would have looked for the thing to shoot up my arm. I seriously would have. Um, and so, but food provided that panacea. But then, of course, the... The other side of that is that that means I'm carrying a lot of extra weight. And I, I never, I hated throwing up when I was sick. I was certainly not going to try and force myself to do it when I wasn't. Um, and then, of course, not eating was not really an option. So, you know, there really was no solution. But the, the reason I, I know that I didn't make the connection was because I would look down and all of a sudden be like, where did this extra stomach come from? You know, or the fact that I would look at pictures that I had and was like, why am I always looking up? Because it makes me look like I have three chins. I had three chins. That's why it looked that way, you know, and I wasn't looking up. It was just their pile there, you know, like, and so, you know, I just not connecting the dots. And, and I remember doing things like, you know, I would, um, the way I would push myself physically, I, I um, have compartment syndrome in my lower legs, which means the muscles get really tight and there's no space for them to to move. And I remember I would walk and in the first mile and a half, they would be in a lot of pain. Then they would go numb and I would keep walking. You know, I was a, a dancer my whole life. I still dance. And I remember crawling off the floor one time because we did so many releves, like my muscles cramped up. I could not walk off the floor. I didn't think twice about this. I didn't think about how I was treating my body and how it was abusive. And, you know, because I had such contempt for it. Um, as far as I was concerned, it was to blame. You know, um, because I was fat, I didn't have a boyfriend. Because I was a fat, I didn't have more friends. Because I was fat, I didn't, you know, add just the list, right? And so it was my body that was to blame. I never made the connection. And so, um, you know, 
after a while, when you when you have all this negativity going on in your mind and your thinking, you need something to quiet that down. Well, food works really well for that. So again, it becomes that double-edged sword. So when um, when I came into recovery, um, it wasn't like I all of a sudden jumped back into being present to my body. That probably would have been way too alarming. Um, it actually, you know, I would say even to the point when I got to a healthy body weight, I still was not totally, like, aware of my own body. And um, one of the things that happened is that I became more conscious of how I was treating myself and the ways that I was thinking. Um, because I think that those thoughts impact my my physical presence, and they impact how I carry myself, and they impact... Um, how I see the world. Because if I'm thinking about all the things that I hate about me, those are the same eyes through which I look and see the world. And so it's no surprise that all of a sudden there were people around me that I couldn't stand, they were irritating me, et cetera, et cetera. You know? And um, you know, in the big book it talks about how we have to get rid of our old ideas. So what I realized is that I need I had a lot of old ideas that needed to be gotten rid of. Um, and that's what the process of the steps takes me through. So it is our hope that by doing this process, going steps one through tell, you know, that we get to look at what some of these old ideas are. We begin to question them and then begin to look at how they're serving us and whether or not we want to let them go. And then we bring God into it because I can't just magically pluck them from my mind. That, that would have been really nice, but I, I'm not capable of doing that. I have to continually turn to God and say, how do you see this? In fact, it was really interesting this morning in my prayer and meditation. Um, I, I realized that, you know, like, for whatever reason, my body isn't like how I want it to be today. <laughs> it's fine. It's, you know, but like, it doesn't take much, you know. And, and I, I, in my meditation time, I just stopped and I, I sort of imagined myself turning to, to God, which is what I call my higher power. And I said, you know what? I, to, for today, I'd like it to be what you want it to be so that I can be of service. And that's it. And help me stay focused on that. Because that's why I'm here. I'm here to be of service. I think in my ego, in my mind, that it's all about me and what i got to do and how i got to be. And, you know, that got me really far. That got me doing stupid things like holding my breath after gym class because I was afraid the kids would hear me breathing too hard. Or, like, holding off going to the bathroom where I had accidents, you know, like, or, you know, abusing myself where I was walking too long. Um, or, you know, hurting my body. Or, you know, trying to shame myself into losing weight. You know, like how, I remember a whole summer I had this whole thing about how I was going to weigh 118 pounds by the time I got to August before school started. Um, my weight range, like a healthy weight range for me, is like 144. At 118, I would look really disgusting, okay? And But I had no, I have no perception, you know? And I also know that if I'm having a bad day, when I look in the mirror, I look fat. I feel fat, you know? But what I've learned in this program is that feelings are not facts, you know? And so part of my recovery is that I get on the scale once a week to tell me what the actual numbers are. And the numbers are exactly where they're supposed to be for today, you know? And when they're not, then I need to make adjustments to my food because I now see the correlation. Um, so those are the kind of things that I have to be accountable for. Um, one of the things, and, and I'll just wrap up with this, that 
I find keeps me constantly in bondage of self is the notion that things aren't the way that they should be or the way that I want them to be. Um, And what I realize, whether that's about my body or my relationships or my work life or or the weather, (laughs) it's not supposed to be this hot. Um, (laughs) Because I grew up largely in Arizona, and this was pretty commonplace a lot of the time. But anyways... um, that when I'm in that space, I'm saying that I know better than God. Because God's about reality and about being present to what is. And what I forget is that I think it should be different because I might be experiencing something that I don't think I should be experiencing. So again, it's all about my thinking. And so what I have to do is I have to make that connection to a power greater than me that sees much more than I can see, that understands more than I can understand, that feels with breath and depth of life, that right now everything is just fine. And when I remember to do that, then I look beautiful, I feel beautiful, and you are beautiful and there's nothing wrong. So I think each day that's what I, I try and strive to do to the best of my ability. And the cool thing about it for me is that when I mess up, I have a higher power that goes, Meh, it's all right. You can try again right now. So anyways, thank you for letting me share. Hi, still Susan, still a compulsive overeater. Hi. Um, uh, I came in uh, to OA in uh, May of 1986, and I got abstinent that October. So um, one day at a time, I hope to be abstinent 27 years in October. Um, Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's very amazing. Um, I was a size 18 when I came in. And I'm not that today. I don't really know how much I weigh because I hate the scale more than many things. Most things. Everything. Um, But I thought, you know, I was taking this um, uh, writing workshop uh, this past year. And um, I I had to write something about my life. And when I was thinking about the workshop today and knowing we were going to share, I thought, I think I'm going to start off with this so you kind of get an idea of really who I am. Um, so if you don't mind, it's only, it's only like a page, a little more than a page. I was six. It was a beautiful summer Saturday. As usual, the family was coming over. We were the first family who lived in suburbia and had a backyard. I never knew exactly who was coming to visit because we had such a large family. Regardless of who came, my dad would grill steaks on the brick barbecue that he and my uncle and assorted cousins built brick by brick onto the side of the small hill in the backyard. Oh, did I love the taste of that charcoal food. I still do. No gas grill for me. I must have the real deal. One day, my cousin Sandy was coming over so we could meet her fiancé, Larry. My mom and Aunt Mary were a flutter. Sandy had had lots of boyfriends in her 18 years. She was my first babysitter and lots of fun. I also thought she was the most glamorous person in the world with her raven wavy hair, her red lipstick, and the cigarettes she smoked and hid from her parents. But now she was finally going to settle down, 18. 
They didn't even know Larry, had no idea if he was right for Sandy. All they knew about him was that he was the same religion, and they didn't need any more information than that. Everyone was in the backyard on the patio, uh, another DIY project courtesy of my uncle and my dad. I was sent to the house to bring out some fruit and was the lucky first person to greet the guest of honor. Hi, Sandy. Hi, Susan. Susan, this is Larry. Larry looked at me and said the thing that changed the way I see myself and the way I exist in the world. He said, hi, chubby. A few weeks later, I came into the kitchen to find my mother on the phone in a solemn conversation. There were a lot of uh-huh before the, I'm sure it's all for the best. Uh, that never comes after hearing good news. I couldn't wait for her to finish so I could find out what the deal was. That was Aunt Shirley, the oldest of her four sisters. Sandy broke it off with Larry. When I think about it today, I find it remarkable that at six, I knew exactly how to react, um, or really not to react. I knew to look sad, and I did, and topped it off with a sigh. I knew I could nev- never reveal that on the inside, it would be impossible to find a happier, chubbier little girl. Sandy, as it came to be known, died last month. She was married for 55 years to a great guy, Chuck, three sons, gaggle of grandkids, and a full and happy life. I went to visit Chuck a few weeks later. I was telling him about my memories of Sandy and brought up my nemesis, Larry, who, although even today in my, my size four jeans, I wouldn't bring up why I hated him so much. Chuck beamed with pride as he told me that five days after he met Sandy was when she broke up with Larry. I, hit, I was hit with the same emotions I had when I originally heard about the broken engagement, pure joy. Really, after all these years, yes, really, after all these years, someone whom I knew nothing about, never saw again, I couldn't tell you what even I looked like, created a path that I followed for most of my life. And what uh, his words did for me um, was really, I used to hide from people. This is really perfect. I used to stand behind, you know this, stand behind the garbage cans in the backyard. I'm hanging out with garbage. So nobody would see me from the neck down and be reminded that I was heavy so that nobody could see me. And um, it's so funny because that's, my, that's sort of my default button. Even today, I love having a podium so that you just see this and nobody is going to attack me and nobody really is going to humiliate me. And, um, and that's what Larry did, but... He got it in the end, I'm very happy to say. So um, uh, I was put on my first diet when I was 10, and um, that diet lasted five days. But I lost a pound a day in that diet. I lost five pounds in five days, probably because I was 10, very busy life, you know, a lot of uh, physical activity that, um, unfortunately, I don't see kids having the opportunity of having today, you know, walking to the library, walking to school, you know, mile walks, whatever. Um, And so that became my reality. And I always expected that when I went on a diet, I would lose a pound a day. If I didn't, the diet didn't work. And it gave me a fabulous excuse just to eat everything I wanted and start tomorrow. And that, that is really what I did for, since I ha- had gone on that diet um, until I came here. So every morning after that age of 10, I'd wake up and think, what diet am I going to be on today? 
so nobody's going to humiliate me again, so nobody's going to notice who I am. And um, it was kind of unsuccessful. I mean, we hear about this. I got bigger and bigger kind of a thing and just was utterly obsessed with food, utterly obsessed. And like Colleen um, and probably like most of us here, childhood was not my uh, ideal place to be. Um, it wasn't safe to be who I was. It wasn't safe for me to um, tell you my feelings. Um, I wasn't supposed to have any bad feelings. I was just supposed to have good feelings and be happy all the time. Um, and, uh, and it wasn't fun. And I had some horrible things happen to me and um, really became, besides hating myself, a really nervous kid. Really nervous. And, and that lasted through my life for, into my 40s, really. Um, and, uh, and just waiting, just that hypervigilance, you know, of like trying to read your mind, trying to see what you were thinking, making sure you liked me, distracting you from me. That, this is really a good thing that I learned how to do, like ask people about themselves so nobody was going to ask anything about me. Nobody was going to notice my size. So that's what I did and really got a reputation as a wonderful listener, you know, and such a good friend. I had so many friends, and all they really wanted from me was to listen to them. Um, that's not their fault. That's, that's who I presented myself to be, and I liked it like that. I was much more comfortable talking about you and listening to you and telling you what a great person you were than having anybody look at me and even say, how are you? And I would just turn it right around. Um, when I came here, I came here out of desperation. Um, I've never seen anybody skip into these rooms ever. They just, we just don't do it, do we? We crawl in, right, bloodied knees, you know, just willing to do anything. Even this work that they ask us to do, are you kidding? You know, inventory, the first time I heard the word inventory, I thought, hmm. No, I never did anything wrong, and I believed it at that moment, you know. Um, the idea of talking to a sponsor and talking about my innermost thoughts and self, well, first of all, I didn't have innermost thoughts at the time, and um, what was I going to talk about? You know, in the beginning, like we all do, I called my sponsor every morning, and um, I used to think, what am I going to talk about with this woman? And... Um, Funnily enough, I found lots of things to talk about. And I remember early on in my early days of abstinence, I was so really insane without the food, without all the food I was eating, that um, I remember calling her up and kind of saying, I, I don't even know what to do right now. And I, I still have this. I have this yellow post-it. And I wrote down what she told me. Take a shower wash my hair, get dressed, call her back. Because I was just really taking baby steps, you know. Um, and I think that's why we count our years here. Because I think for me, my emotional development, the first time I remember being obsessed with food, I was four. And uh, they tell us our emotional development stops then. And so I was a pretty immature person when I can. I looked like an adult, but there I was in a four-year-old mind. And um, so I think we count our, our years here in, in our growth. And um, this has just turned out to be, for me, an amazing way to live. Um, 
just a really wonderful life. I remember after my first meeting, somebody said, you're coming back tomorrow? And I was so stunned. Tomorrow? Why, why am I coming back here tomorrow? You know? But I did. I kind of had no place else to go, and there was somebody who was a new president of OA reading the format, you know. And, um, and I've continued to come one day at a time here. And uh, eating less is a big thing. I eat less today than I used to eat. And um, I don't hear people talking about this. It's uncomfortable to eat less in the beginning. I was hungry. But I knew because of all of you who had done it before me, I would survive. I would just survive. And um, with the grace of God and with my willingness and really all of you, I have uh, stayed here and I have no desire to go anyplace else. So um, I hope you guys all get something out of the workshop. And um, I know that Colleen and I have. I'm going to start with... Can I have... Thanks. So we're going to start in a very novel place. We're starting with step one, right? We admitted we were powerless over compulsive eating, that our lives had become unmanageable. I know that there's some newcomers here because I I saw them last night, but we are going to assume with this step that uh, everyone here believes that they are powerless over um, compulsive eating. And um, if you're not, just bear with us, okay? Because... Really, what we are going to talk about in step one is after that little dash in step one where it says, and our lives have become unmanageable, that's what we're going to talk about here. Um, and uh, in OA, and also I wanted to say everything we say is backed up by the literature, so we're really not making anything up here. Um, so in uh, the OA 12 and 12 on page 6, it says, only an honest submission to ourselves of the reality of our condition can save us from our destructive eating. And um, they also say the same principle applies to our unmanageable lives. As long as we know what is best for us, we cling to our habitual ways of thinking and acting. Yet these ways of thinking and acting got us into the unhealthy, unhappy condition we were when we came to OA. And, um, you know, as uh, some of the people who really gave Bill Wilson the ideas that he uh, picked up on. Dr. Silkworth, I'm sure you know these names. Doctor, If you don't, you will. Dr. Silkworth, Carl Jung, the Oxford Group. So Bill really got the ideas for the steps from these people. Um, when What comes to mind is a sick brain cannot uh, cure, uh, cure, wait, a sick mind cannot cure a sick mind. We can't do it ourselves. If I think I'm going to go on a diet today, I'm out of my mind, you know. Um, And he got that from those people. So even Bill, being the alcoholic that he was, wasn't pretending that he came up with this stuff to cure us all. Um, And uh, also it says, oh, in the big book, and more than being powerless over compulsive overeating, there we go. We had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply our human problems to the same readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with our personal relations. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. So um, 
really, you see, it is about the unmanageability of our lives. Uh, so for the first writing task for today, I, if you don't have paper, there's some paper up here. There's, it's going to be a bit of writing. Um, so we, we're asking you to write, how has the way you have felt about your body affected your life? Like socializing, going to the beach, intimate relationships, confidence in yourself. So just uh, how, how much time we have, do we have for that? Like two minutes? Five minutes. Okay, we have five minutes for that. And um, sure. How has the way you have felt about your body affected your life? And just for an example, uh, socializing, intimate relationships, confidence in yourself, uh, going places like the beach, whatever. So does everybody have, get that now? Get that writing? Okay, great. Sure. How has the way you have felt about your body affected your life? That's really the question. How has the way you have felt about your body affected your life? Okay. We're going to move on to step two. Some of the things you'll be sharing in here, and some you won't because we have a time constraint. Um, and if we don't get to share on a particular step here, I really uh, encourage you to read this to somebody, your sponsor, friend, whatever. Um, that'll be really helpful. So step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore me to sanity. Um, when I first heard this, I was so insulted that they're implying that, they're, that I'm insane. You know, they don't know me. They don't know how brilliant I am. They don't know how sane I am and all the help that I give people. Um, how could it be? But the more I came and the more I listened, I didn't want to have a power greater than myself in my life when I came here. Um, and the big thing that changed it for me was in the big book where, on page 47, where it says, uh, we needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? And that, for me, was a big turning point, um, that I could see that just if I was willing, um, I could get what, uh, what I saw here. And um, in the OA 12 and 12, on page 16, they tell, they tell us how to do it. We could begin to do this by asking ourselves what exactly we needed and wanted God to be to us and to do for us. Then we acted as if God were really exactly what we wanted and needed our higher power to be. We became willing to let go of any concept about God which wasn't helping us to recover from compulsive eating. And um, coming to believe was soothing because uh, we saw that by watching what other people did and watching, for me in the beginning, that serenity I really wanted uh, actually, it turned out I wanted that serenity more than I wanted to eat because I just was so uncomfortable in my own skin that um, I just was willing to do anything. So, um, And they tell us also that as soon as we start taking these actions that, we are, that are suggested to us, things begin to change, even if we don't believe in a higher power at that time. The more action I take the more I see uh, something that's bigger than me in this world. So um, for step two, 
we're going to ask you to write um, this question. What does sanity look like to you in your obsession with your body or how you think about your body? It's one of my favorite questions. What does sanity look like to you in your obsession with your body or how you think about your body? Everybody have that? One more time. What does sanity look like to you with regards to your obsession with your body or how you think about your body? So what does sanity look like in this area? Okay, now we're at step three. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. In the big book, it tells us, it says, being convinced we were at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him. Just what do we mean by this and just what do we do? It says, the first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. So I had to concede that my trying to shame myself into um, taking care of myself was not working. On, the basis, on that basis, we're almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. Most people try to live by self-propulsion, so I tried to do it on my own. And then it tells us that this is the how and the why of it. Um, continues on a couple pages later. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we had decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal. We are his agents. He is the father, and we are his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we passed to freedom. And I love in the big book whenever it reminds us about these ideas of freedom and um, living in peace, because I need to be reminded of those things. Um, In the Voices of Recovery, uh, there's an entry that speaks to this as well. It says, we now say yes to this power, deciding from here on to follow spiritual guidance in making every decision from the 12 and 12 of OA. In every decision... My mind went to instant rebuff mode upon reading these words. Oh, sure, I could see the need to surrender my will and my life to a power greater than myself in food-related matters. Just how many fruits can I dice up really small and cram on top of my cereal and still remain spiritually fit? How many trips to the salad bar constitutes a normal meal? But every decision, whether to ask for a raise, to take on a new sponsoree, to read Lifeline or TV Guide, to go to bed with this attractive stranger, to phone my mother or my sponsor, to tell this jerk I'm plenty miffed, in all the small and large decisions that make up a day, that make up a life. The words on the first page of step three gazed back at me serenely. I hesitated and then totally capitulated to their injunction, and I've never regretted that surrender. So as we get to do... We get to ask our higher power, since we're going to turn our will and our lives over to his care, or her care, its care, whatever you, however you phrase it. So the question here for step three is, what would you like your higher power to do for you in the area of body image? What would you like your higher power to do for you in the area of body image? Does anyone need me to repeat that? 
What would you like your higher power to do for you in the area of body image? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now we're going to move on to step four. And one thing that I just want to say, because I know a lot of people have a certain level of trepidation about step four and step five. And by the way, we are going to take a break after step five, but if you need to to take care of yourself, please do so. Um, So if you have fears about doing a four-step, well, you'll get to face them right now. Um, (laughs) Because no time like the present, right? Um, And then... um, just keep in mind you're going to be uncomfortable, and that's a good thing. So if you're feeling uncomfortable, good. You know, um, they say that in the seventh step that pain is the admission price to new life. So I learned to fight for my right to be uncomfortable. That's where growth comes. So you're going to get sleepy. You're going to want to start thinking about what's for lunch. You know, you're right in exactly the right place if that starts happening. So step four says made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And the A, 12 and 12, it says, pride says you need not pass this way. Fear says you dare not look. So the boogeymen come up and they go, no, 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 don't go here. And it says, but the testimony of AAs who have really tried a moral inventory is that pride and fear of this sort turn out to be the boogeyman, nothing else. Okay? In the big book, it tells us, that's okay, that it is a fact-finding and fact-facing process. It's an effort to discover the truth. Nowhere does it say it's a shaming and blaming process. Keep that in mind. It also tells us that nothing counts but thoroughness and honesty. Okay. So um, what we're going to be doing is, oh, and I want to read you actually this piece. It's, um, there's promises all throughout the literature. And this one comes from the A, 12 and 12 on step four. It says, once we have a complete willingness to take inventory and exert ourselves to do the job thoroughly, a wonderful light falls upon this foggy scene. As we persist, a brand new kind of confidence is born, and the sense of relief at finally facing ourselves is indescribable. These are the first fruits of step four. So that's just in making the decision to do the inventory and to do it thoroughly that that will begin to happen. So this inventory is going to take, a, um, it comes in three different pieces, okay? Um, and then you'll have an opportunity to do some sharing when we get to the fifth step. So the first part of the inventory has to do with history, okay? And so we're going to pass out, yeah, those are all that one. Um, a handout. Now these are just prompts. You do not need to write, those of you who want to, do this perfectly, you do not need to write on every single one, okay? They're simply to get you thinking, okay? So some of the questions, some of the prompts are things like when, you know, and the idea is to start back as far as you can remember, maybe the first time you looked at your body in the mirror, um, the first time someone commented about your body, positive or negative, um, getting a pretty dress or buttoning the top button on your collar, um, things that happened when you played sports or other activities or the first time you remember being in the locker room, um, any injuries or ailments, whether minor or major, bumping into things, tripping and falling. I did that all the time. I was like, I was a dancer and I had great balance, but like if I wasn't dancing, I was bumping into things. Um, when you started developing breasts or getting facial hair, when you had to wear a deodorant for the first time, when you got to wear boxers or briefs, um, when your first menstruation started or your first erection, 
being the shortest or the biggest or the widest or the tallest, you know, when you got picked out of the line. Um, any sexual experiences, embarrassment about your body, not fitting into clothing items, tucking in your shirt, not tucking in your shirt. I always think it's funny that over 300 pounds, I thought that if I left my shirt untucked, no one would notice. <laughs> Insane, right? Um, any, like, physical fitness or tetanus test class that you did, chronic pain that you dealt with, messages from your family and friends about body image. My whole life, my mother talked about her tummy. <laughs> Fine, I don't know what the deal is. Um, any comments or messages from family or friends about your body or their own body? Were you ever scared or angry of your body for anything? Did you ever harm your physical body in any way? What nice things do you have you done to your body? So just looking at the history. And then the second piece, we'll look at the present, and we'll get to that. You're going to have about 10 minutes to write on the history. You can use the back of the handout. These are yours to keep. We're not going to collect them we back. Have, we have extras, too. So yeah. Okay. So now we're going to do the second um, part, which, again, you'll have 10 minutes for, which is on the present. Um, and, again, it's just a series of prompts. You don't have to do all of them, any of the ones that speak to you. But some of the questions are things like, how does living in the body you are in now serve you? Um, how do you see yourself? What things do you like about your body? What things do you not like about your body? Are you present in your own body? Um, what would you like to see change about your body image? Uh, what beliefs or ideas do you hold about body image? What beliefs do you hold about your own body? Do you have a hard time speaking up when it comes to your body, like asking for you want or need at the hairdresser or with the physical therapist or massage therapy or how someone touches you? Um, what are some nice things that you do to your body? What are some not nice things that you do? What fears do you have about your body? Are there things you don't like about your body that you can change? What is stopping you from changing? So, again, just some ideas to get the, the juices flowing, and you'll have uh, 10 minutes for that. Okay, we're almost there. So the third part of the inventory, there's no questions to answer, okay? Um, on, just find a clean space on the paper somewhere. If you need some extra paper, there's some here. Um, what I want you to do, and I'm only going to give you five minutes for this, so um, those of you budding artists will have to contain yourself. I want you to draw a um, picture of your body. Okay, I'm, I'm a terrible artist, so stick figures work fine. And this is not about drawing, like, the echelons of your, the, of your face and then, like, nothing else. I mean, like, draw some kind of representation of your full body, okay? And like I said, stick figures is fine. Um, and what I want you to do on that body is I want you to, on the parts of your body that you do like, draw, like, a positive symbol, whether it's a heart or a star and, or something like that, um, for the parts of your body that you don't like, I want you to put an X. And you cannot do an X over the whole body, okay? I know where your head goes. Not allowed, okay? So is everybody clear on that? You draw some kind of image of your body. Um, and again, stick figures is fine. And then on the parts of your body that you do like, you draw like a heart or a star. And then the parts of your body you don't like, do an X. And you're going to have five minutes to do that.
All right, congratulations, you just did a four-step. Okay, all right, so now we move on to step five. Step five is we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. So in the AA 12 and 12, page 55, it says, All of AA's 12 steps ask us to go contrary to our natural desires. They all deflate our egos. When it comes to ego deflation, few steps are harder to take than five. But scarcely any step is more necessary to long-time sobriety and peace of mind than this one. And in the big book, on page 72, it says that... This is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. We think we've done well enough at admitting these things to ourselves. There's doubt about that. In actual practice, we usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. Many of us thought it necessary to go much further. We will be more reconciled to discussing ourselves with another person when we see good reasons why we should do so. The best reason first. If we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. Time after time, newcomers have tried to keep to themselves certain facts about their lives. Trying to avoid this humbling experience, they've turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk. Having persevered with the rest of the program, they wondered why they fell. We think the reason is they never completed their house cleaning. They took inventory all right, but hung on to some of the worst items in stock. They only thought they lost their egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves. But they had not learned enough of humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense we all find it necessary until they told someone else all their life story. So, um, and then it goes on to say on page 73, we must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live long or happily in this world. So, What you're going to do is you're going to have an opportunity to share. Now, given because we only have so much time this morning, you may not have an opportunity to share all of what you've done. But as Susan mentioned earlier, we definitely encourage you to take this back and share it with your sponsor or or a trusted fellow. Um, What we're going to do is we're going to have you break into groups of four, and we ask that it not be more than four people. And what we're going to do is we're going to break it down so that you have each person has five minutes. So at each five minutes, I'm going to get up and say, okay, next, okay, so that way you kind of know. Um, And then, so there'll be 20 minutes for that. So again, just, you know, again, it's about listening um, and and sharing whatever piece of it you want to share. If you want to show your picture or you don't want to, that's fine. If you want to just talk about the history part, the present, whatever you're most comfortable with, okay? But you'll each have five minutes in which to share. And then we're going to take a 10-minute break when that time is over. Are there any questions? Okay, so you can go ahead and move the chairs, and we'll go ahead and start the time. <laughs>